What is that little extra thing that makes the ordinary extraordinary? I believe it is the presence of God. At Christmas, God came into our ordinary world in the form of a child. In this season of hope and anticipation, as we eagerly await Christ's birth and Christ's return, God is still at work in and through the ordinary stuff of life. This Advent season at Second Presbyterian, we will begin a sermon series titled Advent in Plain Sight. Roughly based on a devotional written by Jill Duffield, we will connect everyday objects with the biblical text and find holy meaning and holy moments. We hope this Advent season will be an extraordinary one that allows us all to see God in and through ordinary things. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we ask, O Lord, that as the word is enacted and read and proclaimed, it is your word made flesh among us that is received and for which we give thanks. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from Luke's gospel, the second chapter, the first 20 verses. Listen for the word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to their own towns to be enrolled. Joseph also went up from the city from Nazareth in Galilee in Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn child and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with fear. But the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you glad tidings of a great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace for all people with whom he is pleased. And when the angels departed from them, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known all the things that they had seen and heard concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. The word of the Lord. An only child 
leads a well-documented life. Photo albums just filled with precious moments. The child kissing a dog, sitting on Santa's lap, looking absolutely adorable in an Easter outfit, look, looking absolutely filthy in an outfit covered with mud, holding up a small fish on a line as if it is a prized bass, feeding ducks at the pond. I mean, those are just on page 17 of volume two of year four. And get a parent talking about an only child. I mean, goodness, that's not hard to do. They'll talk about their kid at book club, at work, at the grocery store, in email chains, in text chains, to the passenger sitting next to them on an airplane, to the dentist and the dental assistant with a sharp instrument and a hose in their mouth. Get the parent talking about an only child and there'll be this endless supply of precious memories. What happened on the soccer field? or during a recital, or on vacation, that craft made at school the funny thing said during a children's sermon. Yes, well-documented is the childhood of an only child. The Gospel of John says that Jesus is God's only begotten Son. I mean, oh my goodness, if we could only get Mary or God talking, the stories that they could tell of this only child growing up, taking his first step, saying his first word, then the things that he said that were so precious or which cracked everybody up. But we don't have those albums showing us the pictures. And the Gospels don't tell us the stories, not many of them anyway. The Gospels give us only three. I mean, two of the Gospels, Mark and John, do not have a single story about Jesus as a child. Matthew's Gospel simply reports Jesus being born. That takes one verse. Then tells the story of the Magi coming, leading to the report about Joseph taking his family to Egypt to keep them safe. Luke's Gospel is the most generous. It tells two stories. One of Jesus at the temple for something that we might today call a bar mitzvah. And of course, the story of his birth, which you heard earlier. And we love that story. I mean, that it's all we've got, really. It's the only story of any depth that we got makes us love it all the more. I mean, truly, that story is precious. I don't think, though, that Luke meant it to be heard in that way. I don't think that when Luke tells of Jesus' birth, he meant it to be heard as an isn't-that-precious memory. I mean, yes, over the centuries, the story of Jesus' birth has become a precious story, but I don't think it could have been further from Luke's mind when he put pen to parchment that there would be these Christmas pageants with children dressed up as Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the magi and the angel and even the animals. He'd be astounded at how many manger scenes are sold and placed in homes and churches and businesses. Those Christmas cards that are mailed out by the millions with peaceful and beautiful images of the circumstances of Jesus' birth would shock him, especially since his focus was always more on what happened at the end of Jesus' life than at the beginning. Now, to be clear... I have no problem with how precious has become the story of Jesus' birth. I love the charm of Christmas. 
I love the feeling I get when I simply hear the stories of Mary and the baby being placed in a manger, being wrapped in swaddling cloths, angels appearing to the shepherds with one announcing to them that unto you a child is born before the sky is filled with this heavenly chorus. And then the shepherds going to Bethlehem, them finding the child, they're finding the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger, telling everybody what they had seen and heard. And then Mary pondering all these things in a heart. It warms me to hear all of that. It's all good, as they say. I mean, we have theological and devotional reasons to join Mary in pondering the significance of this news of a son being born and a Savior given. We honor Jesus by celebrating his birth. The cultural glow that has been added to the story is, in some ways, an affirmation of Jesus' divinity. But I do think that it's helpful to wonder why Luke included the account of Jesus' birth when he didn't want to include all these children's stories if his objective wasn't to tell a precious, isn't he adorable story. I suggest that Luke did not include the birth narrative. He did not include it because it was charming. I think he included the story because it was shocking. It had shock value. Remember, he didn't have in mind people hearing this story every year on the same day or with memories of grandmother or grandfather having read those stories at bedtime or seeing a movie made about it or the people hearing the story with others that they love sitting in the pew and being warm because they're hearing it again. He had in mind people hearing this story for the very first time. And the reaction that he would anticipate? What? A baby? God coming to us as a baby born? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph? The God of Sarah and Leah? The God of Moses and the commandments? The God of the prophets comes to us as this completely dependent and vulnerable child made all the more vulnerable because the baby is born away from home. There's no place for this baby inside. Brand new to the world, breathing for the first time, Freshly birthed and cleaned, swaddled in cloth, placed in a feeding trough. How fragile is this life of a baby born as a savior? Can faith in God survive in such a world? There is a reason for the story to be told. There is a reason that Luke starts his gospel telling us this story because it sets the stage for every story that follows in Luke's gospel. It sets the stage for how vulnerable and fragile remains the life of this Messiah. We need to know from the get-go that life remains fragile even with God. And yet even in the fragility and Even through the vulnerability, the love of God persists. The power of God to forgive and to save somehow keeps shining through. It keeps shining through in the life that Jesus leads. 
And so we hear the story of how Jesus is in peril as a targeted man, yet he somehow, even though everything's at stake, even in the midst of great risk, speaks with conviction and courage and speaks the truth, how he's mistreated and still finds a way to forgive, how he has to die and yet not even death can overcome him. That's why Luke includes the story of Jesus' birth, not because Jesus is adorable, but because God's love is both so vulnerable and so powerful, so human, and yet so divine. And we need to hear that because when we're honest, (laughs) we know that life is fragile. We know our lives are fragile. Now, often we go through life thinking that we're in control, certain of living many tomorrows, confident that we can handle anything that comes our way. And you know what? That's good. We should live that way. We should live with confidence and with hope for the future and with joy. But Luke is telling us at the very beginning that life is fragile And yet, even so, it's to be lived with love and hope and commitment and joy. This life that we live is so worth living because though fragile it can be, God is with us. That God is Emmanuel with us is what makes our vulnerable lives worth living. I guess you could say that's what even makes our lives precious. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.